Amen. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Amen. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Amen. Amen. I'm so grateful that you're here this morning. Thank you for coming to church. We're going to continue this morning talking about the story of Gideon. And uh, we've, been, we've been studying this story for a few weeks. Israel, as a nation, has gotten themselves in trouble. And God delivered them from slavery out of the hand of Egypt. Probably all of you know something about that story. It's where Moses parts the Red Sea. God parts it actually. Moses is there. The plagues. And Israel is delivered by God's high hand. It's in fact probably the most famous uh, biggest story in the Old Testament. It's probably the second biggest story in the Bible only to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, this happened about 200 years before this story of Gideon. They've gone into the promised land, and God told them, hey, I want you to make sure that when you get into the promised land that you don't worship false gods. Don't hook up with the gods of the people who live there. When you move in there and you take over, make sure you don't take on their gods. Well, in fact, over, the, over a period of time, that's exactly what they've done. And because this has happened, they've spent the last seven years under the heel of the Midianites. Now, if you remember, the Bible describes the Midianites. There's so many of them that they're compared to the sands of the sea. There's so many of them, they're compared to locusts. There's so many of them that it says their camels are without number. Now, the Bible doesn't give an explanation of how many there are, but just for number's sake, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a million-man army. Well, the children of Israel have about a 30,000-member army, so they are oppressed by an enemy. And here's what's happened to them. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their homes. They've been evicted out of their houses. Their businesses have closed. Their farms and ranches have gone bankrupt. They've lost their livelihoods, their livestock, their grain. Everything's been taken away from them. They've left town, and they've gone into the desert, and they're actually refugees. And it says they're living in caves. They're living in holes. They're living in refugee camps. They're all out there because they got into sin. They're all out there because they didn't listen to God and they begin to worship false gods. Now, here's what we found out about sin. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews that sin does two things to you. It hardens your heart and it deceives you. It's very important to understand this. It hardens your heart. You become hard towards the things of God. You become hard in your life, and it deceives you. See, the tricky thing about the devil is he'll lure you into sin, and then he tricks you into thinking you're not in sin, and so you're deceived. In fact, Jesus called him the father of lies. So this is what happened to them. They've been deceived, and their hearts have become hard. Here's the next thing about sin. Sin is always progressive. What does that mean? Well, it grows. You see, I know you've heard that saying, right? You give the devil an inch and he'll take a mile. Our grandmothers and mothers used to say that, but it's absolutely true. The Bible says that hell is never satisfied. What does that mean? Well, it means that when you let the devil in your life, you begin to tolerate sin in your life. You begin to kind of let your guard down and think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, You know, that's what the children of Israel thought. Hey, our neighbors are not serving God and they're okay. And so maybe we can do it also. Well, then what happens is it encroaches on your life and it just begins to slowly take over your life. It slowly hardens your heart and it slowly deceives you. Then what happens is when the devil is through with you, you and your family are destroyed. Because you see, that's the plan of the enemy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your children and he wants to destroy your grandchildren. Here's what sin does. Sin takes you farther than you want to go. 
It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to pay. Well, they're in a hole. We talked about that. Israel's in a hole. Uh, Gideon is in a hole. Probably you've been in a hole too, right? I said a couple of weeks ago, either you've been in a hole, you've come out of a hole, or maybe you're getting ready to go into a hole. We've all been in those places. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, I mean a place that's impossible. You've got some situation or circumstance in your life that you can't fix. Well, that's what's happened to them. Well, when you find yourself in a hole, you're supposed to do three things. First off, you're supposed to stop digging. Amen? The second thing you're supposed to do is cry out to God. The third thing you're supposed to do is listen. Now, that's all God wanted. You see, that's all God wants from you and I. God was waiting for them to cry out. He's waiting for you to cry out. Uh, down at Power Kids up on our marquee uh, this past year, I put up a little quote, and it says, God is waiting to be wanted. I love that. God's waiting to be wanted. You see, all God wants you to do is cry out to him. All he wants you to do is throw your hands in the air and say, God, I need your help in my family, my business, my job, my kids, whatever hole you're in, whatever you're facing. So that's exactly what they did. They cried out to God and God sent them a prophet and the prophet told them just what I told you. Hey guys, stop digging, stop sinning. Uh, You've cried out and God's here and God's going to help you. You got to listen. Well, Gideon's out in the desert, and he's in the wine press, which is just a hole in the ground where, they're, where they would make wine with rock around it, and he's harvesting wheat, and they've got a little bit of grain. They're trying to harvest it so they have something to eat, and it says that the angel of the Lord showed up. Now, through study, I believe that it's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. We all know that Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus called himself the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So I believe it's not just an angel. I believe it's the pre-incarnate Jesus. And Gideon's down there threshing wheat and Jesus is sitting on the edge of the, uh, (coughs) excuse me, sitting on the edge of the uh, wine press. And here's what he says. He says, God is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, I love that. The word valor means strength and wealth. Now, now hold it. We're talking to a guy who's lost his job, got fired. He got fired because the business closed. Uh, They served him papers on his house. He's been evicted. His father's farm and ranch is going bankrupt, and they're hiding out in the wilderness. And God shows up and says, hey, I'm with you, mighty man of valor. Now, there's two things here, right? Either God has a sick sense of humor or he knows something that Gideon doesn't know. He knows something about you that you don't know. You see, this story matters because it's your story. It's my story. See, Gideon's story, these stories are not just in here for no reason. They're here because they're examples of how God helped him and God will help you. Then Gideon starts telling him, well, whatever, why are you here? Hey, where's God? And he says, well, I'm here to help you. And Gideon gives him all the reasons why it's not going to work. Have you ever done that to God? You start telling God why it's not going to work, why this can't happen, why that can't happen. And then God begins to tell him through, through Jesus Christ, he begins to tell him, hey, I'm going to help you and here's why it's going to work. Well, they kind of go back and forth. And then here's what he says to him. He says, go in this might of yours. Now, the word might means, I love this, vigor, power, strength, and wealth. Now, valor and might are pretty close together, wouldn't you say? That together they mean strength, wealth, 
power, and vigor. How'd you like it? On the way out this morning, we have bags for you, and they're filled with vigor, power, strength, and wealth. And only one per person, please. Because you'd want more than one, wouldn't you, right? Well, God knows something about Gideon, and he knows something about you that maybe you don't know. Then he says, have I not sent you? Now, listen, if you could settle these two truths in your life, these two simple truths right here. Listen, and I know I'm making a big deal out of this, but it'll change your life. What two truths? The first truth is you have the living Lord Jesus Christ on the inside of you. And no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter how deep your hole is or how big your giant is, the Lord Jesus Christ, with all of his ability, all the wealth of heaven, all of his vigor, power, strength, and wealth, dwells on the inside of you, and all you have to do to access it is believe. The second thing is God has sent you. Now listen, don't miss this. You're not here by accident this morning. God brought you here. You don't live where you live by accident. You're not married to the person you're married to by accident, right? Has the devil told you that, right? You've heard that before, right? You're married to the wrong person, right? You know if you've heard that, that's the first day of your real marriage, right? Yeah, when you wake up and think, oh, this is the biggest mistake of my life, right? Uh, That's the first day of your real marriage. All right, listen, you've been sent by God. Let's settle this in your life. The job you have, the friends you have, the children you have, God has sent you and he has empowered you. That ought to put your feet on the floor in a different mode in the morning, amen? So they talk and as he shares that with him, we learn three things. God's view of you is different than what you think. God's view of you is different than what you think. You know what I always thought God's view of me was? Y'all remember the show Gilligan's Island? Man, I love that show. Are they still on that island? I think they're probably still there, right? Uh, We used to watch that when we were kids. And I always kind of saw myself as Gilligan. I thought God saw me that way. What do you you mean? Well, just kind of a fun-loving screw-up. Yeah, just a fun-loving screw-up, right? You know, my mom would always tell me that, you know, you're like a bull in a china closet. What you don't blank on, you break. Now, you can fill in the blank yourself, right? But that was my perception. Honestly, that was my perception. But you see, God doesn't see me that way. And whatever your perception is of you, God doesn't see you that way. The second thing is you need to stop listening to others and what they say and start listening to God. Let me say it to you again. You need to stop listening to others. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a neighborhood friend. But you need to stop listening to what other people are saying about you and start listening to God. Now, listen, all that is is perspective. Now, you have three perspectives. The first perspective we have is the culture gives us perspective. Okay, whether it's news, whatever it is, right? Uh, Our culture says it's okay for two men to get married. Okay, God's perspective of diff- is different than that. Our culture says that if you don't want your baby, it's okay to end that baby's life in an abortion. And our culture says that a sad puppy has more value than an unborn child because you've seen the commercials just like I have. Our culture says that if you're a guy but you feel like that at that moment you're a girl and you need to go into the girl's restroom, it's okay. Right Now, in Texas, we carry guns, okay? <clears throat> so I just, I just want you to know that, right? I mean, and I'm not picking on anybody, okay? I'm not picking on anybody. All I'm saying is, is the culture's view. You, you, you take on the culture's view, right? Our culture says, you know, if you're a Democrat, this person's going to save you. If you're a Republican, this person's going to save you. Okay, you take on culture's view. The second view you have, perspective is yourself. 
You see, the only, when Vicki and I got married, the only marriage I knew was my mom and dad's marriage. See, your childhood affects you. My childhood affects me. Your perspective of life a lot of times comes from how you were raised, and you have that perspective. But then the final perspective, and the most important, is what God says. You see, that's what matters. It's what God says. And see, if you'll read the book, if you'll get in the promises, you'll find out what God says about you. And listen, if you'll dare, if you'll dare believe what God says about you, See, you know what God says about me? Hey, Rusty, I've chosen you, I've empowered you, and I've sent you. He's saying the very same thing to you this morning. I've chosen you, I've empowered you, and I've sent you. Doesn't that change everything? All right, then the the last thing is it doesn't depend on you as much as you think. Oh, I don't know about you, but that gives me peace. Listen, God's moving in your life. God's moving in my life. Sometimes I see it. Sometimes I don't. When I don't see it, he's still moving. I heard somebody say one time, when I don't see his hand, I can still trust his heart. God's at work in my life. He's at work in my children's lives. He's at work in my grandchild's life. God's moving in your life. And listen, I don't want you, you don't have to muster up the strength today. See, I got to muster it up so I can make this work. No, no. You don't have to because he's moving in your life. Well, Gideon finishes this encounter with God, and he names the place Jehovah Shalom. Now, that's a Jewish word, and we've we've heard that word, Shalom. And what it means is Jehovah Shalom means God of peace. Now, here's what peace means. Now, it does mean absence of turmoil. It It does mean that, but it's so much more than that. It means to be complete, to be perfect, and to be full. Now, that's the second bag we have for you this morning as you go out. The first one is red. This one's blue. Be sure and get both bags, right? If we were handing out completeness, perfection, and fullness, you'd probably want one for each hand, wouldn't you think? All right, now, the word perfect doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. What it means is is that you're maturing and you're growing. So here's what happens when you hang out with God. See, you know what you're doing this morning, right? You're hanging out with God. And you know what happens when you leave this place is you get a deposit of completeness, you get a deposit of perfection, and you get a deposit of fullness. And so he named it that place. Then God said, I'm going to help you, but hey, you got to make a choice. you got to have to choose. See, God doesn't like it when we're lukewarm. He doesn't like it when we have one foot in the culture and we have one foot in church. So he tells him, and he's telling us the same thing. Hey, I want you to make a choice. So, you know, his daddy's an idol worshiper, and we've, we've talked about this. He worships Baal. And so he says, hey, I want you to go tear down your father's false altar to his false god and take the stones and rebuild an altar to me and build it very carefully. Very carefully. Why does that matter? Well, in the Old Testament, they had very strict rules of how they were to worship God. And here's what's amazing and sad at the same time. You see, Jesus tore the veil to the inner court from the top to bottom. When he died on the cross, he didn't tear it in half, but it was torn from from top to bottom, not bottom to top. And you have free, listen, you have free access to God's presence any time you want it. There's not any real rules or guidelines. You don't have to dress a certain way or wash a certain way or say a certain thing. All the Bible says is to come boldly to the throne of grace. But sadly, we have all this free access, but think how little we use it. Think how little we go into God's presence and we almost kind of take it for granted. Remember I talked about three things that God receives in heaven. The first thing he receives is your praise. Now listen, I, I, I don't, I'm going to brag. We have an amazing worship team and we have amazing gifted musicians in this church and they make it so, I mean, if you can't, you know, I believe in God. If you can't sing that song, 
I mean, I heard an old preacher say one time, you're twice dead and plucked up by the roots. I mean, if you, if, right, if you can't sing that song from the bottom of your heart, something's wrong. But when you worship God, the Bible says that your praise is received in heaven. The second thing that's received in heaven is your prayer. The Bible says in Revelation that the angels hold vials, and in those vials are the prayers of the saints. The Bible says, too, that when you pray, you're in the throne room. You come boldly to the throne of grace. Where's the throne? Well, the throne's in the throne room, and you're welcome to come there. The third thing it says in Hebrews that he receives is your giving. It says when we give tithes, see, you give tithe. I'm going to die someday, or Jesus is going to come. It says so in Hebrews. It says that we receive tithes, and you give your tithes uh, to the church, and I'm not going to be here forever, but it says, he that's in heaven who lives forever receives your giving. So your praise is received, your prayers are received, and your giving is received in heaven. Isn't that amazing? That when you do those things, it, it gives. So he says, be, be very careful about the altar. So he pulls down the stone. He builds a new altar. He cuts down the totem pole. There's a different Bible word for it. It's Asherah pole, but what it, what it was really was a totem pole to their false gods. He cuts it down, he makes lumber, he builds a fire, and then he goes to the pen, and then he gets his daddy's best bull. Now, remember, they're in hard times. They're in hard times. All right, remember, their banks have closed, their businesses have been shut down, they've been run out of town, and God says, go get your daddy's best bull, and they butcher that bull, and they offer it on the altar to God. Here's why that matters. Here's the first thing he told him. He said, I want you to give up your father's false gods. That's the very first thing. Why the bull? Because the bull matters. Give up your father's false gods. Give up your family's false gods, and I want you to follow me. The second thing it means is to give me your future. See, that's what the bull was. See, the bull's the future of the herd. Don and I, he's sitting right here. He and I visited about it. Your bull's the future. Now, see, God only wants you to give him your tomorrow. Not just today, but your tomorrow. Now, listen, I'm a planner. I love to plan. I have a calendar, and my mom would always be so mad at me. She's in heaven right now, and she would always be so mad at me when she would call and want me to do something. And I'd say, Mom, I need to check my calendar. It'd make her furious because calendars are not bigger than mamas. Amen, Mother? Now, I always tried to do what she said, right? But I would check my calendar. I'm, I'm a planner. I'm not against planning. But you see, God wants you to say, hey, God, here's my future. Here's my marriage. Here's my kids. Here's my business. Here's my life, God. I want, I want, I want to give it to you. The third thing it did is he said he only wants your best. You see, the bull was the best bull. See, in the Old Testament, you couldn't bring the cancer-eyed cow you couldn't bring the old one that was ready to die anyway and be made hamburger. He only wants your best. Now, we already know that God gave his very best, which was Jesus Christ. But I just want you to think with me just right here for a moment. God's asking for your best. Your best. Then the next thing it means is to put me before your family. Now, listen, I love my family. And God's not asking you to not have anything to do with your family, Okay. You know, I've had people tell me before, oh, my family's having a big reunion, but I can't go because they're all heathens. That's so sad, right? Seriously, not because they're heathens, because you won't go. Listen, folks, don't be afraid of sinners, right? You know what you're supposed to do? You're not supposed to go judge them or criticize them. You're supposed to go love them. Amen. Yeah, you're supposed to go love them. And then, you know, when they leave, they'll scratch their head and say, man, what's happened to them? Right? Yeah, think if you loved them so much, they came up to you and said, my gosh, what's wrong with you? Well, Jesus changed my life, right? 
You know, it's like going to Lake McKenzie. We love Lake McKenzie. When that thing was dry and had no water in it, we fasted and prayed and cried out to the living God that it would be filled back up so we can go out there. And we love going out there. And I've heard people say, oh, I don't go to the lake. There's too many drunks out there. I'm not afraid of drunks. Amen? They need love too. All I'm saying is, is I feel sorry for people who won't go places because there might be somebody there that they don't agree with or don't like. God's not asking you to abandon your family, but what he's asking you to do is put him first. Put him first. Then Gideon did it at night because he was afraid. Now listen, God's gonna ask you to do some things and you may have to do it afraid. Can I just say that? Go ahead and do it afraid. Just go ahead and do it anyway. Listen, do you know what courage is? Listen, and I, I believe this with all my heart. Courage is just acting even though you're afraid. Any man that's been in battle, any man that's been in combat will tell you that. Were you afraid? Absolutely. You'd have to be an idiot to not be afraid. But I went ahead and acted anyway. So God wants you to do it even if you're afraid. Then the last thing is to recognize that sometimes, no, not sometimes, all the times, your false gods are a snare to your family. Listen, your children are victims of your sin. Your grandchildren are victims of your sin. Your false gods are a snare in your family. And God wants you to give them up. So this all happens. And about the same time, the enemy, remember that big army? They're out on the edge of town getting ready to come in and fight. And here's what we found out. Your enemy, their enemy, is not impressed. Listen, God is so proud of you for being here this morning. And when you take a stand for Jesus Christ, it's amazing. And I believe God and all of heaven are rejoicing, but your enemy's not impressed. Yeah, no, he's not impressed because he doesn't know if you really mean it or not. And he's going to be there to see if you really mean it. You see, he's not impressed. He's not going to stand down off your life. You got to do three simple things to get that done. First, you got to submit. That's what James says. It, the word is humble. You have to submit yourself to God. What does that mean? That means, God, I, I get on my knees. Maybe I get on my knees literally. We haven't done that enough. It doesn't hurt you to do that. Go in your bedroom, get on your knees, and use your bed as an altar. Now, listen to me. There's nothing wrong with that. When I was a kid growing up, my grandfather had a heart attack, and we went to the hospital, and he was sick, and they came out and said he was going to die. And my father went into the public restroom, a little one-stall restroom, and he got down on his knees, and he used the toilet as an altar. He got on his knees in a public restroom with the toilet lid folded down, and he prayed, and he cried out to God for my mother's father's life, and he didn't die. He lived. There's nothing wrong with getting on your knees and using your bed as an altar and laying your life before God. God, here's my marriage, my kids, my past, my present, my future. I surrender. Then if you've been lukewarm, if you've been doing some things, and we all know when we have, God, I repent. Here's the amazing thing. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you've sinned, you know what you need to do? Get up, dust yourself off, ask God to forgive you. He's right there to forgive you, and you keep moving forward. Listen, do not let sin hold you back from God. Do not let it hold you back. When you blow it, I blow it. I blow it. If I had three hands, I'd put them up. I blow it. What do I do when I blow it? Father, forgive me. He does. Then the last thing you do is you resist the devil. The Bible says in that same verse, if you'll resist him. How do you do that? You do it out loud and firmly. Devil, get off my life. 
Get off my business. Get off my kids. But you see, you've submitted and you've repented. Then you resist. You might even get out some oil and put it on the doorpost of your house or put them on the doorpost of your business or put it on your car. It doesn't hurt, amen? And it's not superstition or witchcraft. It's doing what God's word says. You anoint it and give it to God. So that's what he did. Then he was still kind of nervous. You know, it's only life and death, right? So he goes and gets the fleece of a sheep. You know, it's the skin with the wool on it. And he says, God, if you're really with me, would you cause their dew to be on the ground and the fleece to be dry? And God did it. And he said, well, God, really, uh, this time, would you cause the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry? He reversed it, okay? Because he didn't know, right? God, are you really with me? God, are you really gonna help me? Because if you don't, we're gonna all die. Now, that's called putting us, you, you ask for a sign. All right, what we found out is, is you don't have to do that because you have an advantage Gideon did not have. You have the living Lord Jesus Christ on the inside of you. You see, when you get to heaven, you know what the Old Testament saints are going to ask you? Kurt always talks about this. It always blesses me. What was it like to be born again? What was it like to have God on the inside of you? We never experienced that. What was it like? And you're going to say, oh, I don't know. I guess it was okay. Because that's all you've ever known, right? We found out you don't have to look for a sign. Listen, in your walk with God, don't look for a sign. Look for a scripture. Now, let me say it again. Don't miss this. You don't have to ask God for a sign. Instead, get your Bible, get on Google, and look for a promise. Look for a scripture. Listen, whatever God's doing in your life, he'll give you a verse, he'll give you a promise. You don't have to say, God, show me a sign, because he's going to say, I've already shown it to you in the scripture. The next thing you do is you walk in the truth you already have. What does that mean? Listen, Vicki and I never pray about giving at church. Never, ever, ever do we pray. About, now, we pray over our giving, but we don't pray if we're supposed to give. Do you know why? Because the Bible says to give, and we're walking in the truth we have. You see, I didn't pray this morning, Lord, if we're supposed to give this morning, cause the raisins in my raisin bran to float into the form of a cross. <laughs> right? Right? Lord, let, let a bird fly into the kitchen window if I'm supposed to give. No, we, you don't do that. And I know that sounds silly, but you don't have to do it. Why? Because we know what the Scripture says. We know what the promises are, and we're givers. I didn't have to ask if I was supposed to get saved. God didn't have to show me a sign. He sent the pastor who shared the gospel with me. Listen, don't look for a sign. Look for a promise. Look for a Scripture and walk in the truth you have. Then God's guidance comes in steps, not leaps. Now, listen. When you walk by faith, it doesn't mean you lose your mind. It means you trust God. And God orders those steps. Listen to me very carefully. It's so powerful to understand this. See, God's not asking you to jump off a cliff on your head. He's just asking you to take the next step. All right, now, I don't know what that is in your life, but let's just stop right here for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, what has God been asking you to do? What's the next step? See, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe the next step is for you to begin to sing the words on the songs. Maybe the next step for you is to maybe raise your hands. I can remember in my life, the church I was raised in, you didn't raise your hands. Plus, I'm a, I'm a Caucasian, and we were taught to control our emotions and behave, right? 
Don't act weird or crazy. Uh, that's how I was taught. That's how I was raised. But I can remember wanting to express my love for Jesus Christ. And God, I found out in Scripture, hey, why don't you raise your hands? Well, I can remember that God was asking me to take that step. And it was hard. But now it's no big deal at all. Maybe the next step for you is giving. Maybe he's asking you to give financially. Maybe the next step for you is being in church more often. Maybe the next step for you is talking to your neighbor about Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is. But you see, I believe God is asking every one of us in this room, what's the next step? See, that's how God operates, a step at a time, a step at a time. You see, through this whole story, he's led Gideon one step at a time. Has he not? So I'm, I just want to ask you this morning, what's your, what's your next step? Every one of you know in your own heart what your next step is. Then the next thing you do, just what he did, you reject confusion. I refuse to be confused. See, God's not the author of confusion. This is what the Bible says. See, God's not trying to trip you up. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to harm you. He's walking with you. So you reject confusion. I am not going to be confused. Instead, I have peace. You see, that's one of the greatest signs if the Holy Spirit's leading you. Do you have peace? Do you have peace? God, am I supposed to do this? Do you have peace? Does it line up with the Bible? Does it line up with the promises of God? Does it line up with Scripture? Here's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to walk with you, and he wants to restore you, and he wants to bring you to a place of completeness, perfection, and fullness. Listen, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what you're facing. Listen, I've got areas in my life that are going wonderful. But then I've got areas in my life that are impossible. And I need God to do something. I need God to move. Listen, I don't ever dare get on this platform on Sunday morning before you, before I get on my knees and say, God, help me. Fill me. Listen, I, I, I may say dumb stuff up here. I, you, you don't know how much. Seriously, you don't know when I go home on Sunday after church and I play in my mind what I've said and I agonize, oh, why did I say that? Oh, why did I mention that? Oh, I hope no one was hurt by that. You don't know how much I go through that on Sundays. And then I'll go to my wife and say, was it any good? You know, I need, I need her to pump me up and lie to me. And, you know, you know. And when my kids were little, I'd say, well, what did I preach on? You preached about God. And I don't ask him anymore because they almost give me the same answer. <laughs> Listen, I never get up here that I don't first say, God, help me. That's all he's wanting you to do. Amen. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever's going on in your life, all he's wanting you to do is just what he wanted Gideon to do, just what he wanted the children of Israel to do, and that is, God, we're going to have to have some help. You're going to have to lead us. You're going to have to show us, and he will. And you know what will happen? You'll find as you walk with God, you'll find more wholeness, more restoration, more peace, more joy, more happiness, more contentment than you've ever known just by simply saying, God, help me. Amen? Y'all stand up and let's pray. <coughs> Excuse me. Father God, I want to thank you this morning for your life and for your love. I'm thankful for our mothers. Father, those that are living and those that are long gone and for their influence in our lives. Father, there's nothing more powerful than a godly mother, and I'm thankful for mine. 
Father, bless our lives. We reach out to you this morning. We cry out to you, and we give you permission to work in our lives, our families, our jobs, our community, and that your grace is on us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said.